can be seated. Good morning, River City. Really glad to be together with you to open God's Word. So let's get after it. We're looking at Habakkuk chapter 1 today. You can turn there in your Bibles or flip there on your apps. Habakkuk chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. Uh, While you're turning there, let me give you a little context. Uh, We're looking uh, for the next number of weeks at the two small prophets of Habakkuk and Zephaniah. We're looking at them together under one umbrella, calling it revival in the ruin. Uh, The context here for both of these prophets is a a nation in turmoil, uh, looking at their future, and it looks bleak because the enemies around them want to kill them, because the corruption inside of the nation is, is... high. There's, there's a lot of it. So even the glimmers of hope of, of a good king or, or, or good response from God's people that, that happen in this time frame, that's the exception rather than the norm. Habakkuk is a prophet in Judah who is looking around at the world around him and his assessment is just that, that the world around him is evil and unjust and unjust, excuse me, and broken. And apparently it's been that way for a while because the words coming out of his mouth here in Habakkuk chapter 1 are ones where he he feels that God is silent. That God is not either listening or God is not speaking. And Habakkuk's perspective is familiar for us. I mean, have there been times in your own life? Think back in the the 20 or 30 or 40 years you you have been on this planet. and, And think back. Have there been times in your life when you felt like a trial or a hardship has gone on too long? Like, hasn't this, hasn't this gone on long enough? Right? Have there been long seasons where your prayers seem to go unanswered? It's becoming a not-so-funny joke. But it is still our unfortunate reality that when we look around at what we see around us today... Not just for the pessimists and the cynics like myself, but we can all point to a lot of things around us today that grieve our hearts, that make us shrug uh, a little bit in just sadness. And we wonder, why won't God do something? Like, if He is all-powerful at the snap of a finger, couldn't He just, like, wipe away a, a virus? Well, sure He could. At the snap of a finger, couldn't he change the hearts of wicked and broken people so they would uh, no longer hate fellow image bearers, but instead they would love them and serve them? Well, of course. So this is our challenge, right? What do we do when God seems silent? It's troubling when it seems that evil persists and we wonder where he is. We're tempted to believe that maybe God maybe doesn't know. Maybe he's unable to to really do something about the problems that we see, or maybe he just doesn't care. These are some of the things we're tempted to believe. Let me say it this way. When we see evil, we are tempted to believe that God is unaware. Or maybe he is powerless, or maybe he just is unloving. Maybe he just doesn't care. But God is not clueless, God is not powerless, and God is not careless. He is always working to bring about what is right and just and true, even when we don't see it. So we'll see that in Habakkuk's, uh, this this honest kind of complaint, and we'll see it in God's response. Let's read the the text together. We're going to read Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 this morning. This is the word 
of the Lord for us today. Habakkuk chapter 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous and justice goes forth perverted. This is the Lord's response starting in verse 5. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. At, at, <clears throat> excuse me, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning that cannot and does not fail. The section is kind of broken up into two parts. The first uh, four verses, of, well, two through four, Habakkuk's complaint, his confident complaint, and God's astounding answer. We get that word in God's response in verse 5, be astounded. And so that's going to kind of be how we'll look at the text today. Habakkuk's complaint, his confidence in his complaint, and God's astounding answer. First, let's look at verses 1 through 4. Verse 1 tells us that this, this is the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Now, what is an oracle? The word oracle shows up 32 times in the ESV translation of the Bible. 18 times in the various prophetic books, like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Malachi. Nine times in historical and wisdom books, like Numbers and Proverbs. One time in the book of Lamentations. And four times in the New Testament. And in every instance, no matter the context, the word oracle refers to revelation from God. An oracle is a, is a vision It implies something revealed to someone else. In this case, Habakkuk, a known prophet of the Lord, has an exchange with God. And this vision is recorded for us. And even though we won't find um, Habakkuk, uh, in Habakkuk, language that says, and tell this to the people, which is often what we find with prophets. In this case, it's a conversation between Habakkuk and God. And so even though we don't find a, you know, thus saith the Lord... It's meant to be instructional for us, for God's people, and for us specifically what to do in times of evil. Now, the most obvious thing here about Habakkuk's complaint in these first few verses is that it's a complaint. He, he's literally complaining to God. See, when you have a problem or a question or an issue, where do you go with that problem, right? 
you probably try to find someone who can do something about it. You try to locate an expert or, or someone who knows something. One time, I made the mistake of wearing a pair of khaki pants and a red shirt into Target. Have you made this mistake? I was just going shopping for a few things that we needed to, to pick up. I was stopped three times where someone looked at me and said, excuse me, I have a question. Or excuse me, can you help me with? And I had to turn around and say, I'm sorry, I look the part, but I don't work here. Nobody? Yeah, just word to the wise, don't wear khaki and red to Target. Like, you will, you know, have to take over the night shift for someone named Jan. And um, you may or may not get your 15-minute coffee break. Right? Like, they were looking for help. And who were they looking for? Well, someone who at least appeared that they knew what they were talking about or, or looked like they fit the part. Right? When we're not sure how to fix something, we, we quick hop on YouTube or, or something and we find someone who has done something like what we're trying to do and we, we watch the DIY instructional video. Right? We look for the experts, who, someone who can demonstrate how to fix or replace this, this thing that we have. Why? Because we, we need the help of someone else. If we're wondering why the shelf is empty and if there's any more in the back room, we ask the person who has the name tag. If we have a complaint or a problem at a store or a restaurant, you speak to the manager, right? Maybe you do. So Habakkuk looks around and says, this world is broken. It is full of evil. It is full of violence. And Habakkuk has to look at it every day. And he calls out to someone who should be able to do something about it. That's why I'm using this word, confident. His complaint is direct and confident. And, and, and Habakkuk is pretty bold here in his honesty. Now, let me be really careful. Uh, honesty isn't always honorable. Here's what I mean by that. We can say some things honestly that are really unloving. Truth without love. Possibly even sinful. And we put it into the caveat, well, well I'm just being honest. Right? Honesty and being authentic, air quotes, is not necessarily automatically righteous. However, Habakkuk offers his honest complaint confidently. And here's where, if you're reading this like I am, you, you kind of go, well, hold on, man. Do you want to really say that? Right? It almost sounds accusatory, doesn't it? Look at verse 2. God, he says, will you not hear? Aren't you going to listen? Are, are you deaf? W will you not save? What are, you, what are you, sitting on your hands, God? Look at verse 3. Will you idly look at wrong? To be idle is to do nothing. Will you do nothing? You're just going to let this happen, God? I mean, don't, doesn't that complaint sound just a little bit on one side of accusatory? He, he's towing the line here of accusing God of being unaware of the evil in the world, unaffected and uncaring of all those who are being wronged. And verse 4 is almost Habakkuk throwing up his hands as if to say, well, justice won't be realized. And even if it looks like it's being realized, the justice that does go forth is going to be unjust. It's perverted. 
And here's what's striking as I read this complaint. God doesn't chastise Habakkuk. I mean, he could. I mean, could you imagine? I'm a, I'm a dad. I have, I have five kids. And when they're really obstinate or really challenging, my, my human flesh reaction is like, don't you talk to your dad that way, right? How many of you got that from your parents growing up? Like, who do you think you are? I brought you into this world. I can take you out, right? Anyone get that, right? Like, this... This is the, 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 the feeling that I have as a, as a sinful, broken human dad sometimes. Uh, and here, Habakkuk is almost, he's on the verge of accusing God. And God doesn't chastise him. In verse 5, the Lord does tell him to buckle up. Like, oh, hold on, Habakkuk. Just have a seat and listen. For what I'm about to tell you, you're not even going to believe it. But God doesn't punish him. And and this is a really important point, I think, for us. See, I think God knows, because God is God, that we are limited. He is fully aware of our finite, our non-infinite, our temporary and, and, and limited nature. That we cannot see what he can see. That we don't know what we don't know. And because he is merciful... Because he is gracious, he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, which the scriptures ascribe to him over and over and over again, he is compassionate with his children. Look at, um, uh, you don't have to turn there, but Psalm 103 verse 14 says this, For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Lest we forget, God is infinite and holy and perfect. And sits above all creation, all the universe, and does all that he pleases. And he knows that we are limited and we are like dust. And he's compassionate. Now, I'm not saying that we should just go around shaking our fist at God every time we look at something that's wrong or we're uncomfortable. Like, who are you? But what I am saying is that we have permission here to bring all of our cares and all of our concerns and all of our worries and brokenness and say, okay, if there's anyone who's big enough to not only carry these things, but to give me perspective I don't have on them, it's him. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring him to him. The question is not, do we sometimes feel like Habakkuk? I think that's a no-brainer. Of course we do. The question for us is, where do we bring our complaint What do we do with this burden that we carry? See, sometimes we do complain about the wrong things. Our perspective is often skewed, and the things that work us up maybe really shouldn't. We often give ourselves over to worry and frustration over the wrong things. But but we're not going to really dig into that today. What I want to press on is, is this. What are we doing with the things that burden us? I think we far too often go fishing with our complaints. We don't lay them at the, at the foot of our, of our good and gracious king. We go fishing to others with them. We cast them out there like little bite-sized pieces, hoping that we get a nibble. Someone else will affirm that frustration. Someone else will say, I'm brave. Someone else will offer advice. But I fear that many times our complaints are misplaced. We're asking the guy in the red shirt at Target to help us without realizing 
He doesn't work there. I want us to see that Habakkuk, even though his complaint seems strong, even though it borders on an accusation of God being well, unloving or uncaring or unpowerful or something, he's bringing his complaint to the proper place. And we too are, are called to bring our cares and complaints to God himself. We're told to bring them boldly. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4 outlines this beautifully. It should be on the screen. Hebrews says this, Since then, we have a great high priest, speaking of Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Since he is our priest, the one who now has a go-between between us and the Father, let us hold fast our confession. The writer of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, as we are, yet without sin. Pause there for a second. Think about this. Jesus himself endured all the pain and the woe and temptation that swarm all around in a broken and sinful world. All of it. His eyes saw injustice. His eyes saw evil, and he remained sinless. And this sinless Savior is our priest who receives our complaint. The writer of Hebrews goes on, he says, Let us then, if this is who our priest is, if this is Jesus, if he really is this sinless Savior who has been tempted as we are in every way, yet without sin, if this is true, let us then with confidence... Hebrews says, draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Habakkuk brings his complaint to the one who can do something about it. I think we can be often tempted to believe that maybe God doesn't know. Maybe he can't do anything. Or maybe he just doesn't love us. Maybe he doesn't want us to be Happy, But rather than stew on that, we have an opportunity to bring our complaint right to Him. We too are given access to bring all of our cares, all of our concerns, all of our complaints to God. Confident that He hears us, that He welcomes us, and that His default response is mercy and grace to meet us in our need. That's our, our first point here, that this complaint can be brought confidently before God. Now what's astonishing is God's response. Look at verse 5. Look among the nations, the Lord says in response to Habakkuk. Look among the nations and see, wonder, And be astounded. If you're astounded, the idea of being astounded is your mind has been blown. He says, look and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days you would not believe if told. (laughs) Habakkuk complains. And he says, Lord, okay, I have this, this, this problem. You seem to not be doing anything. And the Lord's response is, okay, have a seat. Because what I'm about to tell you, you're not even going to believe it. And then in verse 6 through 11, verses 6 through 11, God tells Habakkuk exactly what he's up to. He sees the evil. He sees the wickedness. 
God knows that among his people there is idolatry and injustice, there's corruption and greed. The worship of false gods, small g, is happening in God's people. And the Lord says, almost surprising Habakkuk, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm already dealing with that. Like, I've already begun to work on this problem that you, you say you've, you've discovered. Now, we'll get back into Habakkuk's surprise next week when we look at verse 12 and on. Habakkuk complains again. So just save that. We'll, we'll cover that next week. But the Lord's response to Habakkuk's concern that God is inactive is a reminder that, no, no, God is always at work. Maybe you just don't see it or you just don't understand it. That's what the Lord's response to Habakkuk sounds like. Verse 6 tells us God is raising up the Chaldeans. These are uh, the wicked Babylonians in ancient history. Did you catch that? God is raising up a foreign, pagan, non-God-worshipping nation to punish the wickedness in his own people. This is why God essentially tells Habakkuk to sit down in verse 5. See, Babylon is legendary for their violence. Legendary. God says they are a bitter and hasty nation. Bitter, meaning bitter. Hasty means they're angry. Then they're quick-tempered, quick to be angry, quick to shed blood. They love to conquer others. In fact, uh, who was I talking to about? Joe. Joe said Nebuchadnezzar's side hustle was just taking over other nations. This is what he did. Verse 7, they're fearsome and they, they're their own standard of justice. Verse 8, their forces are fast and powerful. Basically saying their military might is, is relatively unmatched at the time. Verse 9, they come for violence and they gather captives as slaves by the hundreds and by the thousands. Verse 10, they have no fear of other nations. They don't, they don't fear other kings or armies. There's no castle or fortress they won't overtake. They will literally just pile up earth and create a, a ramp in order to bring their, their forces into the strongest of cities and the strongest of towers. Verse 11, they sweep through. And the Lord says they are guilty men whose might is their God. What a description, right? You get a, in, a, in these few verses, you get a snapshot of just how strong and violent Babylon is. As I said, we'll look at Habakkuk's response to God's answer next week. Uh, this is kind of two parts. Um, one, Habakkuk's first complaint, God responds. Habakkuk hears God's response and says, I have more questions. That comes next week. But today, God answers very definitively. See, remember, Habakkuk was like, God, you don't seem to hear or see what's happening. You don't seem to want to act on the injustice that's, that's happening. But God is more just than Habakkuk thinks. He just can't see what God is up to. His perspective is limited, and it's no different for us. The answer Habakkuk gets from God is, here's a glimpse of what I'm up to. I, I am at work. I, in fact, I've been at work for, for years. 
the Babylonians just didn't come out of nowhere here. God's like, I've been at work for years in preparing this. And I'm just going to give you a, a little glimpse into what I've been up to for a while. Do we have ears to hear God's similar response to us when we lack perspective? Pastor and author John Piper says this, and I've found it incredibly encouraging and humbling. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. He continues in an article where he kind of elaborates on that idea. He says, not only may you see a tiny fraction of what God is doing in your life, the part you see may make no sense to you. I don't know if you've experienced that, if you can resonate with that, but let me just say, my experience is that is absolutely true. How we perceive our circumstances and how we perceive God's answer to our questions has everything to do with what we believe to be true about God. Perhaps you've been confronted with the philosophical problem of God and evil. If there is a God and he is all-powerful, and he is all-loving or all-good, how can evil exist? Either he is all-good but not powerful, or, or maybe he's powerful but he's not good. Have you wrestled with this? If you took Philosophy 101 in college, right? This is the Epicurean dilemma or paradox. Epicurus was a Greek philosopher, approximately 300 B.C., who posited this phrasing. Is God willing to prevent evil? but not able, well, then he's not omnipotent. Then he's not all-powerful. If he is able, but not willing, well, then he's malevolent, which means not good. If he is both able and willing, then where does evil come from? Then whence cometh evil? And if he is neither able nor willing, then why call him God? Right? This is the, the philosophical dilemma of, well, something's got to give, right? If God is God, then he's either all-powerful and all-loving, then why is there bad stuff? And from the human perspective, from a strictly human perspective, this seems like a reasonable, logical argument with one small caveat. Our perspective is severely limited. See, God's answer to Habakkuk is a giant reminder that, that you and I can just barely see what is right around us. I mean, barely we can barely see the, just to the edge of where the, the headlights on our cars shine at night. Just barely. And we have a, a terribly inconsistent and spotty memory of our own history and our own experiences, let alone absolutely no capacity to see what's going to happen five minutes from now. So yes, if we are the final arbiter of truth, if we are the center of our own universe, if we set the standard for what is good and what is bad, if we hold the scales of justice in our hands, then yes, we would be fully within our rights to call into question God's goodness, God's power, and God's wisdom. But what if we aren't the center of the universe? What if there is an external standard for justice that judges right and wrong, and that we get judged by that same standard. What if this short window of time from 1980, November of 1980, until the day when I breathe my last, 
this tiny window of time, maybe 70 or 80 years, maybe if I'm fortunate, what if this window of time is not the pinnacle of human history? Suppose we need some perspective. Suppose, like in the days of Habakkuk, God is doing a work in our days that we would find it hard to believe even if he told us. How we perceive our circumstances when we take our concerns and our complaints to God has everything to do with what we believe to be true about who God is. Is God clueless? Is he powerless? Does he care? Proverbs Verse 15, chapter 15, verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Job 42, verse 2, I know that you, the Lord he's speaking to, can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Romans chapter 5, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's word anchors us to all these truths. That God sees all and knows all. That there is no power that exists that can thwart anything that God wants to accomplish. And that God has numbered every day of our lives and has counted every hair on our heads and loves you in a way that you can just barely comprehend. God is always at work in 10,000 ways, accomplishing his will in our lives and in our world to establish justice, to advance his kingdom, to bring glory to his name, and to accomplish good for his people. See, when we look around at the brokenness around us, the ruin around us, whether it's society or it's in our own lives, we might be tempted to believe that maybe God isn't listening. Maybe he's unwilling. Maybe I've done something wrong. Maybe he's just forgotten or doesn't care. But God's word tells us another story. That God is big enough. That he is astounding and abounding in steadfast love and mercy. That he can handle our cares. That he can handle our complaints. That his posture towards us is kindness. That we get glimpses of what he is up to. So we can be confident to bring him our cares. We don't have to shy away from that. Because he's always at work. And it's always for our good, even when we don't see it. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. Romans chapter 11. See, when we see evil and ruin, we are tempted to believe that God is unaware or that he is powerless, or maybe he just doesn't care. But he's not clueless. He is not powerless. And he is not careless. He is always working to bring about what is right and just and true. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that even with our limited perspective, you are gracious to give us glimpses into your grace. Father, I confess 
I far too often hoard my concerns rather than lay them at your feet. And then when I do, they seem to come out all jumbled and angry. And I thank you that you're gracious to us in that. That you receive with compassion the cares of your children. Would you receive our cares this morning? The the burdens that we carry, would you cause us to lay them down? To trust that you can bear them? And would you stir deep belief in our hearts where it is hard to believe that you are good, that you are working for our good? Would you, by the Holy Spirit, illuminate the places of our hearts that are a little hard? The places that are weary and tired? Would you bring healing and restoration Would you stir repentance and praise? We thank you that you are sufficient to meet us in our need. And we thank you that you are always working even when we don't see it. Would you give us eyes to see? We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.